Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. This is Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports. Streaming through the Seattle Sports app. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Here we go now. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Hope everyone's ready for the weekend. You got some Mariners baseball coming up here today. Short show. If you're listening to the podcast, it's only two hours. That's why you aren't seeing the other two on there. And if you're listening live, get ready because the Mariners are taking on the Diamondbacks for Cactus League play. That game starts at 1210. We're going to send you to it at noon. Curtis Rogers hosting with me today. Hi, Curtis. How are you? I'm well. And yourself? I'm great. Thank you for asking. You're so much nicer when you're co-hosting as opposed to (laughs) as producer. Matt, are you seeing this? Who is this version of Curtis? Uh, It's two-faced. Yeah, exactly. Well, now it's Matt's job to be mean to me. Someone, the whoever the producer is, whoever is driving the show behind the glass at some point needs to just be dragging me. It's it's fitting for the show. Not to brag, but I'm really good at being mean to people. You really are. Stacey, those who have produced you, and I believe I'm the only person that has ever produced you. Regularly. Regularly. I actually think every producer here has at some point. Yeah. You, Unfortunately for them, <laughs> sometimes you need to be bullied into things <laughs> or else you're just going to run wild. Yeah. Yeah. I would love for you guys to compare notes. You left go Mora and Matt just like, what's it like to produce Stacy? Horrible. Sometimes Literally you just got to yeah. put your foot down and say no. Have you ever tried walking a dog without a leash? And you just, <laughs> it's hey, kind of what hey, it is. Hey. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna get Focus. us. I'm gonna get us back on track here. Um, I want to cover two things for our open because we got a short show. I'm kind of like combining a couple things here. So let's start with the Mariners. Curtis, we saw something new yesterday. Well, not only did we see the debut of Logan Gilbert, that wasn't new. We saw him debut his splitter. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it was to mixed results. Not the very best day for Logan. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, people are like, oh man, what's wrong with Logan Gilbert? Yeah, what's nothing, wrong? Nothing's wrong. Exactly. If you are. <laughs> Keeping track of spring training stats, you're a sicko to a degree that <laughs> I I just can't relate to you. Now, there may be cause for concern with that, but it's a new pitch he was trying to work on. That's kind of what starting pitchers do. Guys who are uh, entrenched in the starting rotation, that's yep. what they do during spring training. You will see outings like that from guys that you don't normally see. Uh, what was it? Brandon Gustafson, who was on with us earlier mm-hmm. this week, talked about how when Felix Hernandez... Uh, was you know with the Mariners during spring training we'd often see outings like this from him but then once the regular season came around he was you know a silent Cy Young caliber pitcher I'm not saying that Logan Gilbert is is that right now he could be in the future for sure but I don't think there's anything to worry about with Walter uh, (laughs) you know after his performance yesterday the good thing though in, in spring training so far is the individual performance we're seeing because you should not matter about the scoreboard at the end no. of the day. Um, but Although they did win. They did win. Yeah. Did Alberto win. Rodriguez with the walk off yesterday, but you saw a Eugenio Suarez at a home run. Yeah. We've seen this week, Julio and, and Jared go back to back. We've seen Kelnick so far in spring look like a really good player so far. Those are the things that should matter here in the early going of spring training rather than, uh, you know, Logan Gilbert struggling yesterday mm-hmm. in his first outing. I also like maybe I'm willing myself into thinking this, but I don't worry about players who struggle, but I do let myself feel encouraged about players who don't, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I let myself feel encouraged, not read too much into it, but feel encouraged from Kelnick playing well mm-hmm. because he's someone who could use confidence and who could use consistency yes. and something to look back on and say, well, I actually, this worked out for me. I know that I can lean to that and look at that as some positive reinforcement. I don't panic about players struggling, uh, 
particularly veterans because I just assume like, hey, they're going to be fine. Yeah. And what's interesting about the next couple weeks is next week we're going to see a lot of guys, not just in Mariners camp, but across Major League Baseball leave for the World Baseball Classic, which means the talent level uh, that is left in camp is not going to be. Uh, what we see in the regular season. So it's going to be interesting to see how guys perform over the next couple weeks uh, as the World Baseball Classic is going on and you see a lot of great players from these teams leave to go represent their countries because then it's like you're basically playing against AAA pitching for a lot of you know spring training. Yep. And that's going to be tough for you know teams to kind of decide who's good enough to make their roster, who's not, because they're just not facing the best of the best. And for guys like Kelnick, you hope that he jumps on uh, that opportunity and continues to produce because we know what he's like at the AAA level. He's, he mashes. He's one of the best minor league hitters the Mariners have ever had. The problem is hitting major league pitching. Yeah. So over the next couple of weeks, you hope that the guys that are producing that there are the question marks about continue to do so uh, because guys like Gino uh, who hit the home run yesterday, you know what he's about here. Uh, Julio, you know what you're going to get with him. Like there's no question marks about those guys and what they can do at the big league level. But Jared Kelnick, uh, you know, guys who need to be able to repeat these performances over and over and over and over again to build that confidence. That's going to be imperative over the next couple of weeks. So they continue to do so, right. to do that. I will keep my eyes out for lineups today. Uh, I'll double check in a second to see if Shannon's already posted it to see if we're still going to see Kelnick and see some of these guys. But uh, for a heads up for you guys, that game is going to be at noon. Uh, excuse me, at twelve ten. We're going to send you to pregame at noon. It's like a ten minute pregame show uh, as opposed to the regular season one. So that's coming your way. Live baseball. You are two hours away from it. Um, let's get to some Seahawks stuff here. I have quite a bit to go over in our open, Curtis. Uh, John Schneider, uh, as part of the John Schneider show, was on with Wyman and Bob yesterday. He talked about a lot of the big topics that are floating around the NFL that may not be Seahawks specific. Jalen Carter, for instance. He also talked about some Seahawks specific things like, hey, how do you feel about the franchise tag? Franchise tag. Franchise tag window closes March 7th. That is the deadline for that. Uh, Any free agent is eligible for it. There are questions about whether or not they're going to use it for Geno. So let's actually start with uh, let's start with Jalen Carter. Um, John Schneider is asked, hey. You know, how would you handle Jalen Carter's situation? For background, for anyone who doesn't know, Jalen Carter, who was projected to be a potential number one pick in the draft, that's if someone like Bryce Young doesn't go, but is certainly one of the top prospects, if not the top prospect in the draft, uh, out of Georgia, was um, uh, posted bail, I believe. Yes, recently posted uh, bail, returned to the combine for um, reckless driving. Uh, he was uh, allegedly uh, racing um, a, a teammate and uh, a member of the scouting staff. The two people in the other car crashed, uh, unfortunately lost their lives. And uh, Jalen Carter left the scene, came back, lied to police about it. It's it, it, There's more information on any sports outlet. I mean, ESPN has been following this closely, but. If you didn't have any background information when they're asking John Schneider, hey, what what do you do in a situation like this? It's what do you do when you have serious character concerns and character questions? We'll go to our security people right away. George Echo Bright does a great job with us. So he'll, we'll, we'll go to him and, and ask him to do his research. And then to your point, you know, we, we huddle up as a group. But we keep we keep that in the house. You know, we don't necessarily talk to other teams about that sort of thing. You know, you kind of, you get to, like I said, you know, you get to a point where you got to be really careful about what's coming out of the building. And, you know, you don't want to have, you know, the loose lips sink ships thing, you know. So, uh, yeah, we, we, got, we try to keep that stuff real tight. So, I mean, 
I don't think John Schneider is someone who is uh, opposed to drafting people with character questions. We've seen it happen a Correct. lot. We've seen it happen to success where someone ends up Bruce being just fine. Yeah, Bruce Irvin ended up being just fine. Completely embraced the environment he in Seattle. He is a model citizen. Exactly. I mean, he ended up becoming someone where it's like, look at this guy. He's an example for you guys. And then it's ended up being exactly not working out at all. So you've seen it Blowing from the spectrum the of outcomes. What we know is that they're not opposed to drafting someone when there are outside questions. They feel confident in their own scouting, which at times has worked out, at times has struggled. Some things you can't predict. Um, I Would you be opposed? It's kind of a loaded question. With what we know, only what we know, would you be opposed to them taking Carter at five? It would be... It would be be it's a situation where it's uncomfortable for it's sure, really uncomfortable. but I think letting the legal process play out, which is going to be tough because I believe his arraignment is April 18th, which is nine yes. days prior to the draft. So uh, we may not know the full extent of his legal situation by the time the draft starts, which could definitely throw a wrinkle into which teams are interested in him and which ones are not. Obviously, this guy is talented. We've heard from uh, a few people that he was the most talented player not just on this year's Georgia defense, but last year's Georgia defense, yeah. too, which both defenses are considered among the greatest in college football history. Um, so, obviously, this guy has a boatload of talent. Um, he, The Seahawks need a guy like him in the worst way possible for that defensive line. Um, if the legal process plays out and, and there's there's nothing more than just the slap on the wrist or these, tra- these charges to get dismissed... I think that opens the door for a lot of teams to take him. Mm-hmm. I think it opens the door for a lot of teams to say, you know what? Uh, this guy in, in a court of law was shown to not be at fault for this or, or anything like that. Um, I don't think this is what he's being charged with is not the same as somebody that comes in with a domestic violence charge that somebody comes in with, uh, you know, a DUI or anything there are like levels that. To yes, crime in general and concern. What he certainly. did was, or what he's accused of of doing is, is a mistaken judgment. You know, obviously, you don't want to be street racing. You don't want to put yourself in a situation as dangerous as that. And you know, knowing what we know about the driver of the other car, how she was uh, very impaired before, but getting behind the wheel had a blood alcohol level of I think it was like point one nine seven, which is what three times or almost double the legal limit, more than double the legal limit. Um, that is a huge mistake uh, in judgment. And unfortunately the lives of two people were lost in that situation. Um, so if Jalen Carter is available at number five for the Seahawks, um, is it like, I don't, if he's available at five and they take him, you're assuming like they did their due diligence yes, to I think so. feel comfortable with whatever character yeah. questions they had. Now, we've seen it in in the past. I think Frank Clark was another guy yeah. uh, who they drafted and the world kind of found out that this guy's got some, mm-hmm. some bad stuff mm-hmm. that has happened in his past. That was uh, a rather unfortunate situation now. Frank Clark, outside of the what the gun charge he had a year ago, has two years ago, has mostly stayed out of you know legal trouble since joining the NFL. Um, I think the Seahawks have learned a great deal from Malik McDowell in that draft, and a great deal from the Frank Clark draft, where you know they may just kind of be like, let's take the sure thing here. If Will Anderson's available, let's take him. Uh, if Miles Murphy from Clemson is available, let's take him. 
I, I don't know. It is so tough to say right now because we know so little yeah. about the legal process that's about to unfold. Exactly. So you don't want to make any overarching statement yeah. about like, I think he's fine. But you also don't want to say like, he's a horrible person. You just yeah. you have to wait and see what happens. But um, it's it's a loaded question to ask. I appreciate your insight. It's But it's something, here's the thing. It's something that all of us are going to be asking ourselves. There are a couple mock drafts that have Jalen at five to Seattle, which they no do. one thought he'd fall there. It's something that Seattle's going to have to investigate themselves and question themselves. So it's important that we know what's going on. Um, two more minutes here. I'm switching gears, sticking with Schneider, though, a much different topic. Um, he was asked about the franchise tag. The franchise tag window extends to midday on the 7th, which is next Tuesday. Are they going to franchise tag Gino? John's not going to tell us, but he will explain how he feels about the franchise tag in general. You have to have flexibility within your within the cap. You know, you always have to do that if you want to to, to uh, try to continue to uh, build your team all throughout the year. You know, I'm talking all the way through the trade deadline or you know extending guys at the end of seasons and everything like that. So just could be you know just could be prohibitive. You know, I've you know obviously the. There's different positions where it makes sense, you know, because the, the number's not quite as high. You know, like, that was a big deal for us to get the deal done with Jason Myers. I think I talked to you guys about that a couple of weeks ago. Kicker's a position, you know, you, you can, you can, you know, you can, you can stomach it. We didn't want to do that. And uh, so we, we were able to work with his agency and, and, uh, and get a deal done. But yeah, I've never really looked at it as a negative thing when people say, oh, you know, they get the franchise tag. Because if you get in a franchise tag, you know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, it's a significant amount of money, especially at the premium positions. The TLDR version of this is, yeah, I've used the franchise tag before, uh, but it was on two positions that are less than quarterback. And using the franchise yeah. tag at quarterback seems um, like quite a bit of a chunk out of the I salary. I think cap when space. they tagged Frank Clark, it was like for about twenty million. Yeah, per and hour. I feel like I feel like they knew that they wanted to shop him. Oh yeah, because they knew that he those, could get you. A well, those talks return. have to start before that, but uh-huh. but you're right. I think the Seahawks recognize that if they if they let Geno Smith get to the open market, they're now going to be bidding against teams that are more desperate for quarterback play than the Seahawks are right now. Mm-hmm. And that will drive up Geno Smith's price tag. We've been throwing around 30 million, 32 million, somewhere around there. A team like the Jets, they're going to be willing to overpay for quarterback play. A team like the 49ers are going to be willing to pay for quarterback play because they feel like they're a quarterback away from being not just a, a you know a playoff team but from being like a contender. Uh the Jets defense was really good this year. Yeah. And they got off to such a hot start but then Zach Wilson was terrible in the season second half. Or as you would say Basura. Basura. He was Basura. The 49ers are, you know, entering a season where they don't know if Trey Lance is going to be healthy to start the year. They don't know if Brock Purdy is going to be healthy to start the year. I can't imagine Jimmy Garoppolo is back. Um, there are other organizations, too, that can can use quarterback play. So if they don't get a deal done with Geno prior to the franchise tag window closing, uh, that price tag for him is going to shoot up. Yep. Uh, okay, so that's, I think, given our time constraints, probably it for the Gino talk for today, uh, as well as for the Schneider sound. If you guys want to hear more, he talks more about the Jalen Carter stuff, too, and just the process of weighing uh, risk versus reward for prospects. It's a really interesting conversation. You can hear it on the Wyman and Bob podcast. So I want to let you guys know there is more sound there. Uh, we're not going to get to it uh, in this show today, given time constraints, but you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts or on seattlesports.com. Right now, let's get to headline rewrites. That's, that's, read all about it. 
Headline Rewrites. We must make headlines. The real story behind the headlines in today's news with Bob and Stacey. Headline number one on the eve of the trade deadline. The Kraken escaped Detroit with a 5-4 victory in overtime. Here's the game-winning goal from Oliver Bjorkstrand. McCann with a shot. Good stick. Chirot still in play. Oliver Bjorkstrand moves it this way. Shoots and he scores! Hey, hey, what do you say? Oliver Bjorkstrand wins it in overtime. What's the real headline? Sometimes sloppy play is enough to get the job done. It's not a funny headline. It's not sarcastic. It's just a true descriptor of when you see, hey, the Kraken beat Detroit 5-4 in OT last night. Your takeaway should be, if you missed the game, didn't watch it, uh, don't know a ton about what happened, that they weren't especially sharp. No, <laughs> there was not they, sharp They kind of got away with one. They, they got away with one. They went up 3-1 with like 12 minutes into the game and then surrendered three goals. Uh, Jones was pulled uh, as goaltender, Grubauer sent in, um, though I will say not in defense of Jones because it wasn't the best night for him. That There also was poor defensive play. That said, they still got away with it. They still got away with the points they needed. And there are still, as a result, some questions about goaltending ahead of the trade deadline today. Yeah, I will be very interested to see who gets the start net tonight because they play a back-to-back. They go to Columbus and play the Blue Jackets tonight with both goalies having worked last night. You're not going in with fresh legs tonight. You're going to have a goaltender that's got a little bit of wear and tear on him, uh, especially having played the night prior. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, trade deadline today, last opportunity for them mm-hmm. to add prior to. In fact, the, in two hours. Yeah, prior to the noon deadline. Uh, I, have you settled on they're not doing anything? I think so. Even <laughs> though yesterday I said on the hype train that they would yeah, absolutely you, you add. Why you boarded that train? I know. That was me speaking from the it. heart, That's, not from the mind. I understand. I understand. I don't think they're going to do much either. In fact, the Mitch Haniger comparison was perfect, Curtis. It's, they're gonna, Burakovsky's the Burakovsky coming back in a couple weeks, and I think they look at that as like, hey, if we can make our offense better, maybe goaltending doesn't need to be the best ever. Let's hope it doesn't end up costing them. Although, from Greg Wyshynski yesterday of ESPN, Hey, it's really, really cool. The winner of the Stanley Cup's probably coming out of the Eastern Conference anyways, and you can look forward to contending and, and being even more competitive next year. I hate talking like that, but it is not the end of the world if you don't get everything right in year two of an expansion team. Headline rewrites. Headline number two. Bumps Cougs comfortably beat your Huskies, uh, Stacey, 93 I mean, 84. Cougs. I can say it as much as I want without Bump here. It's, it still doesn't sound right coming from go you. Cougs! Uh, they beat the Huskies on UW Senior uh, Night at Heckhead. What's so the real headline? Was this Mike Hopkins' last home game? It better be. It better be. I'm never overly comfortable calling for people's jobs. I know that you're fine with yeah. this. <laughs> it's been three years in the making. I know. After that 2020 season, that should have been where the line in the sand was drawn. Yes. And yet they've continued to let this thing bleed out over the last couple seasons. There's just apathy surrounding the program right now. We're going to talk about this coming up at 1030. Uh, there's a report from John Wilner about Hopkins' future, what he thinks could happen. Uh, we're going to talk about the six years that Hopkins has been head coach for this program, what the results have been. Uh, spoiler alert, mixed. <laughs> the answer is mixed, and the answer Sum is also up, for the last four seasons. Down. Yeah, for the last four seasons. Seasons plenty of down as well. So, um, where does UW go from here? That's a question we're exploring in 10 minutes. What's next, Matt? Headline rewrites.
Headline number three, some XFL action this weekend. The Sea Dragons look for their first win against the Vegas Vipers. I like that alliteration on Saturday. What's the real headline? If they beat the Vipers but no one saw it, did it actually happen? (laughs) It is. Bump's not here, so we can... That's the thing. It's less about the XFL and more about... uh, The football sickos that are just... Can I get to the story that we have for the timeline? But no, then I we're going to ruin the timeline. Right. Okay, okay. I will say this. There's some espionage going on in the XFL that uh, that we're going to get to in the timeline. The off the league <laughs> we're going to get to it in the timeline. Espionage yeah. is the perfect word. I saw this story and was like, this can't be it. This, there has yeah. to be more to this story that we're not hearing from the player's point of view. I'm convinced. I uh, I watched a little bit of the Vegas Vipers last game. Uh, you know, I was scouting for my guys, uh-huh. for my Sea Dragons. Of course, of course. Uh, they play their home games. Not at the Raiders Stadium, not even at the AAA baseball stadium. At that's it. But they play <laughs> uh, at the former AAA baseball stadium that is in Las Why? Vegas. I don't know. Maybe it costs too much to use Allegiant Stadium where this the Raiders is, are at. They don't even play at UNLV Stadium. This is the thing about the XFL. And, um, or I think UNLV is now at the Raiders Stadium, but still. The XFL has some really cool ideas for rules and innovative ideas for rules. It is really fun to watch, particularly for mic'd up moments. So if you've mm-hmm. never played, it's like this really cool insight into what a huddle is like, right? Yes. I mean, and by never played, I mean like if you played in high school, congrats. I'm talking about like professionally or collegiately. Two years varsity. Yeah. Two years varsity. Um, but I think that what we continue to see is this like it, does a top-heavy focus make sense? A focus on, like, what does it look like? Like, the rock at all the games being like, here we are doing all yes. this. And it's like, okay, but are your front offices sound? Like, uh-huh. are is are your facilities sound? That's a weird thing, too, because all these teams are housed in the same city. Yeah. Like, they practice throughout the week in the state of Texas, and then they fly out to their locations across the country. Like, they don't practice in the Seattle area. They yeah. don't practice in Vegas. They yep. all practice in the same place in Texas. It's it's all very odd. Maybe that's why there's espionage, because they're in such close quarters. Oh, that's a good point. You are listening to Bump and Stacey. Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus today. UW has a problem. There's an obvious solution, but the question is how to move forward afterwards. That's next. Bump and Stacey. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacey Ross. Michael Bumpus out today. Curtis Rogers hosting with me in his place. Uh, we'll also do this on Monday. Bump back on Tuesday. Also, both today and Monday, you're going to have short shows from us because the Mariners are going to be broadcasted live. They're taking on the Diamondbacks. That game at 1210. We'll send you there at noon for a 10-minute pregame show. Talking about the Mariners coming up at 1045 first though we got to talk about UW's biggest problem right now and potentially their obvious solution Curtis you seem to think so Washington uh, men's hoops fell to the Cougs last night 93-84 at home TJ Mamba dropped 36 points from Percy Allen of the Seattle Times it's the most individual points scored by UW opponent since 2015 it also means UW finishes the season 16, 15, 8, and 12 in Pac-12 play. They'll face either an 8 or 9 seed in next week's Pac-12 tourney. But that's not what people are talking about today, Curtis, is it? It's not. It's absolutely not. What are we talking about today, Curtis? There's a lot of hand-wringing amongst Husky fans because uh, that team did not look competitive last night in their loss to Wazoo. And it's, what, year six of Mike Hopkins' tenure here? And outside of the first two years, which were incredible. Yeah where they made it to the NIT his first year and then made it to the NCAA tournament his next year. 
It has been a lot of nothing since then. Bottoming out in the 2020-2021 season where they won, what, five games that year? Five and 20. So I'll give you the four seasons. So um, 21-13, year one, 27-9, year two. The two years you mentioned, great stuff. You're also playing with a lot of Romar's kids. Uh, then in the last four years in order, starting with 2019-20, 15-17, gross, 17-15, 16-15. You've been middling. Yeah. Middling. You've been just awful in conference play too. Five and thirteen in twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, four yep. and sixteen. Yep. Barely above five hundred last You've year had at one eleven and nine. Winning record in conference play in the last four years. Yeah, and eight and twelve. And yep. let me tell you, Lorenzo Romar's teams were never this bad at the end. His final year they were they were bad. They yeah. bottomed out. Sure. But they never bottomed out to a five-win season. Well, like that's why had. I'm confused about, like, what are we doing here? It's yeah. clear that it's a buyout issue. Yes, absolutely. Because prior to this year, had they bought him out, it would have been a $9 million price tag on top of the $9 million price tag that you were paying Jimmy Lake's buyout. So in total, that would have equaled about $18, $19 million that you're paying to two coaches to not coach in addition to the salaries that you're paying your new coaching staffs on top of that. Now, if Hopkins were to be dismissed after this season, his buyout shrinks to $6 million. Mm -hmm. You're paying that money regardless. Um, But, like, where this program is, I feel like a $6 million check to write somebody is going to not be as bad if you can get somebody in here and energize this program and take advantage of the fertile recruiting landscape that you're in and also take advantage of what is going to be a much more down Pac-12 after UCLA leaves. Mm -hmm. Now, this is all dependent on if the Pac-10 stays together uh, going forward, and that we're going to find out over the next couple weeks whether that's the case. But Washington has an opportunity here to take advantage of what's being put in front of them, and I don't think Mike Hopkins is that guy who can – get them to the place where they want to go. No, and this isn't about him as a person. This is about looking at six years of production, saying you have one uh, appearance in the uh, NCAA, uh, NCAA tournament. When it's one NCAA appearance for the program. The over, well, yeah, and you have only made the NCAA tournament once since 2011. Right. We're in 2023 now. Yes. Like that extends to the final years of Romar. Correct. And also throughout the majority of Mike Hopkins' Well, and that's what's so frustrating about it is, like, I don't necessarily – I know that um, in most parts of the country, like, football's king. I get it, right? Look at um, TV ratings for the most watched TV programs ever, and it's like – or excuse me, every single year – the vast majority of them are NFL games. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to compete with football as a whole just culturally. However – Basketball is still a huge of huge cultural significance. The biggest money maker the yes, NCAA yes, has true. is March, March Madness. Madness. And it is more valuable yep, than the yep. college football playoffs. Yes, because of like a number of TV deals have led it to that. And it is frustrating to me to watch a school seemingly care a ton about one program and then let another program flounder and struggle. Because of a buyout that I look at it and I know I'm a Washington alum, so I'm biased, but I've also been very critical of my school and I kind of hate on my school sometimes in like a I can make fun of my brother, but you can't kind of way where like you without meaning to sound entitled, Washington is too good a program 
or too good of uh, a, an institution to have a program struggle like this so consistently and for so long. Yes. And what also is befuddling about where UW is as a program is across the state in Spokane, you have a juggernaut of a program, not just in the WCC, but across the NCAA. Yes. Gonzaga has appeared in two national championship games since, what, 2017? Mm-hmm. And they continually make it to the Elite Eight, continually make it to the Final Four. Like, if you can do that in Spokane, in the West Coast mm-hmm. Conference, what is holding you back from doing it here in Seattle? Where, where you've had guys that have been NBA draft yes. picks. That are from your hometown. Yeah. Like you have allowed Gonzaga to not just surpass you as the power in state, but lap you and lap you yearly in terms of of success at the NCAA level and also in terms of getting guys to the NBA. Yes. A thousand percent. And I it's pretty obvious that Mike Hopkins just is not long for it here in, in Washington. Like Washington needs to figure something out with this because it's getting to the point now where fan apathy has set in and, and that's the that. worst that's the worst thing possible for yes. any sports team. Well and that's the thing. It's not even like you're so atrocious that you have people that are calling for Mike Hopkins to be fired tomorrow, though there are people that are very upset with how the program's been, particularly in the last six years. Excuse me, four years. You also have you're right, the fan apathy of like this is what happens when you're just there. You just exist. Like, you aren't bottoming out. You're just kind of existing without making any impact whatsoever. And a good point from a listener in the 360, forget program, UW's in too big a market to not thrive. Correct. Like, they are in, what, the 12th biggest sports market in the country? Like, that should mean big dollars coming to your program. That should mean a lot of eyes coming to your program. And it just hasn't been the case. And speaking to that fan apathy, I went to the Arizona UW game, Bear Down, uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Yeah. It was... Uh, I lost that bet. You did. I know. We had donuts the I following shouldn't Monday. shouldn't have made it. Um, but speaking to the fan apathy, it was advertised as a whiteout where like everybody in the arena wears white. It's this, you know, cra- it's this crazy scene of everybody wearing the same color, supposed to be this, you know, daunting thing. The only people in white in that game were the student section. Nobody else in the stands was wearing white. Not yeah. even the band was wearing white. Okay, <laughs> they were in purple. They didn't even get the memo. Like, I come from a school where if they tell you to wear yeah. red or blue or white to a game, everybody's doing it. The whole crowd of, you know, 17,000 people in McHale Center is is going nuts and, you know, in unison like that. But at heck ed... Only the student section got that memo, uh, and you it. could tell like the energy in the arena just wasn't there. And Arizona had their way with UW that day. Um, it, it is it's in dire straits right now, and I get that six million dollars is a lot to eat. But if you're going to eat that, then you got to go the route you did with the football program, where you're going to be hiring somebody not from a Power Five school. You're probably not going to convince somebody from the Big Ten or the SEC or you know the Big Twelve to come and, and go to your program. You're going to have to dip into the mid majors to find somebody. You got a, a great coach uh, at Eastern Washington right now, David Riley, who's only 34 years old. Eastern is in first place in the Big Sky. That's somebody who I think would be. Uh, a, a very interesting candidate to bring over. Seattle U has a really good head coach and Chris Victor. That's another guy. Just in your geographic footprint, there are options. So, and by the way, the last, I know we're up against the clock. No, here. you're good. The last time that UW was looking for a head coach, they 
obviously settled on Mike Hopkins. You know who they didn't call? Gonzaga assistant Tommy Lloyd, who in his two years at Arizona has set the NCAA record for most wins in a coach's first two seasons. He has been the most successful head coach in NCAA history over the first two seasons of anybody's career. And they went. They didn't even call Tommy Lloyd. I hate it. I hate everything about this. They didn't even call him. I wish we had more time about this. Um, We will see what happens. Obviously, the the tournament is next week. Something tells me we're going to be talking a lot about this uh, after that tournament. Um, I mentioned that there was a new report on this. Uh, Pac-12 hotlines. John Wilner talked about Hopkins' future in his latest column. He said chances of a vacancy are about 66%. He called it one of the most interesting hot seat situations in the conference unfolding now in Seattle. He also mentioned, look, you fixed football. You got DeBoer. You figured that program out. They had a great year. Now this administration and Jen Cohen can devote full time and resources to getting basketball right in Seattle. Again, that latest point is from John Wilner. Um, we'll we'll continue talking about this, particularly next week. You're listening to Bump and Stacy on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Curtis Rogers in for Bump today. Think about the greatest strength for the Mariners. Curtis, are you thinking? I'm thinking. Okay, good. Think about the pieces of this team that make you most confident, most excited. Does it make you feel more comfortable? Make up for any of your concerns. Let's figure it out next. Bump and Stacy, Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On Seattle Sports. Here are your hosts, Michael Bumpus and Stacy Ross. Curtis Rogers in for Michael Bumpus today. We are rounding out soon into the second hour of our show, also the final hour of our show, because heads up, you guys, you're here in Mariners Live, 12, 10 p.m. First pitch for Cactus League play today against the Diamondbacks. We're going to send you there at noon. We know the Mariners' greatest strength, right? I mean, well, I should be more specific. The greatest strength is clearly pitching, But there are plenty of strengths they have that aren't just limited to pitching. Um, Julio, obviously a strength for this team. So I guess what I should say instead, Curtis, is let's think of the things that make us really excited and really confident about this team. Let's list some off. Julio, I win. What what about you? uh, (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, Starting rotation. Exactly. Bullpen. Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh. Uh, Gino Suarez, particularly if, you know, he doesn't regress. And that's actually a natural transition there are questions that we all still have. Big question mark, left field, yes. right? Um, can your second base improvements middle infield as a yeah. whole? You're right. Uh, we all have questions and we all have things we're really excited about. This is, this is what I'm wondering. Do the things we're excited about outweigh any concerns? Do they make us feel better about them? And then let's get really particular here. Is it possible that where the Mariners are strongest can make up for the weaknesses? I think so, Uh, especially when it comes to the starting rotation and the bullpen, because you are giving yourself opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to win ball games, especially low scoring games. And Mm -hmm. just because they've acquired Teoscar Hernandez and acquired Colton Wong, I still think they are a bad away from really shaking the offensive woes that they had a year ago. Yes, I think they're going to make a lot too. more hard contact this year with with Teoscar in the lineup. Um, but I still think they're going to be very reliant on the long ball. Uh, I think you know guys like Suarez, uh, guys like Ty France. Uh, well, I mean France puts the ball in play quite a bit mm-hmm. um, for today's game, especially. Um, but at the end of the year last year. If the Mariners weren't hitting the weren't hitting the long ball, they weren't scoring in, in most of those games. Um, but when you have a rotation that has four 
very quality starters at the top. And then the five spot, you've got Flexion and Marco kind of battling it out. Marco, I I believe, is going to be that number five guy uh, come opening day. It allows for you to have a lot of opportunities to remain in ball games, and then you just get the ball to the bullpen in the sixth or seventh inning, and again, you're still you know with opportunities. We talked about early on in this show looking at performances of pitchers, and like Matt Brash struggled his first time out again. Not too concerned no. about that. Marco, for that matter. Yeah. Right? Not overly concerned. I think Marco is who he is. We yeah. know now. But when you look at some strength, like you mentioned Julio. Right. Who is, you know, one of the ultimate, like, you know, and checkmate. Yeah, yeah. One of the ultimate chess pieces to have on a team. Like, does his presence overcome a lot of maybe some of those struggles on right. offense? And for sure. Like, I'd rather have one Julio and a huge question mark at 789 than, or for that matter, 5689, yeah. <laughs> uh, which they won't. They, they, they won't have that many question marks yeah. in the lineup. But uh, I'd rather have one superstar. Because mm-hmm. you and I talked about this with um, with NHL rosters, and the it, the same logic applies to uh, any team anywhere, regardless of league. Is very rarely do you see uh, certainly dynasties, but even just World Series, Stanley Cup, Super Bowl, what have you, winning teams that don't have at least a star. Yes, at, and somebody more that you than can that. point to and like that's exactly. the best player like, on the floor. That's in, the best player on the field. Yeah, in in the real world, there's not a lot of like Moneyball situations where no. it's like you just get a group of dudes and it's a feel good story and we can make this work. For the most part, you need superstars, usually plural, and certainly having one helps. And Seattle at least has that. Yes. At least has that. Uh, yes, for for sure in Julio. And uh, that is a guy that, you know, championship rosters don't happen without. And I think championship rosters don't happen without a great starting rotation, which I think the Mariners have. Mm-hmm. And it, we saw that ranking from ESPN earlier this se- earlier this offseason where they had him as like the 18th best rotation yeah. in baseball. Which is weird. That was it lame. Is. It was. And I don't think that's an indictment so much on the Mariners. I think what that says is that the quality of pitching across Major League Baseball is better than we've ever seen. Yes. It, it's exactly it's, why we're having these new rules. Yes, out. exactly. You know, the emphasis on spin rate. Uh, guys who are just throwing the nastiest stuff. Velocity is higher than it's ever been. People are pitching in later baseball. into their careers. Yeah, and, and the Mariners' rotation. I mean, Castillo is a flamethrower for sure. Uh, Kirby can get it up there. Logan can get it up there. But like Robbie Ray, Chris Flexen, Marco Gonzalez, they're not exactly guys that are going to be hitting ninety-seven, ninety-eight on the gun. And I think maybe they got docked a little bit because mm-hmm. of that. But yeah. look, Robbie Ray, as we talked about this week, is a year removed from winning a Cy Young. Like, he was the best pitcher in the American League, what, 500 days ago? I know, and I don't care if anyone. I've seen a couple of people say, like, oh, that was just a fluke because it doesn't match those career numbers. I don't know, man. I don't care if you get a Cy Young year, man. You don't get, like, a fluky Cy Young year. Yeah, you no reach one, your potential no as a Cy Young No one backs their way into a That's Cy That's what I'm Young. saying. Like, what it is is you reached your potential and you were able to tap your, you know, into your ceiling as a player. And it's hard. It's really yeah. hard to do that consistently. That's what it is. For sure. <laughs> uh, and... I think right now this Mariners rotation is going to exceed that projection that ESPN had as the 18th best rotation. Like you're going to get a full year of Luis Castillo. You're uh, even if Logan Gilbert and George Kirby maintain what they did a year ago, that's still really good. Yeah. That's still a rotation that is going to have success. Um, two things. Uh, number one, Curtis, my feelings are hurt. Uh Oh, why? I, well, I, 
it wasn't I, something I said. No, I've been uh. asking listeners uh-huh. to subscribe to the podcast and also leave reviews. And I feel like I've been asking really nicely uh-huh. and being like really polite, yeah. which isn't normally me, but like, I've no, been yeah, really you're very demanding. And I have gone a couple of days without one. It's been, it's dried up with the and reviews. I'm really sad. Uh-oh. And I go and look folks and I get so excited and then it's not there. And now I'm sad. Do you want to make me sad? Just is that what you want? A review, I guess. You want me to cry on air? Wow. Is that what you want? Folks, it is time <laughs> oh to leave God. reviews. Uh, we're continuing our Mariners Stacey's conversation. Stacey's an ugly crier. <laughs> Jonathan Mayo joining us next. Don't go anywhere.